Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is your boy C-I-Z-Z-Y, your big live action. And I would say Kansas City, Missouri, but actually right now I am in downtown Austin, Texas. I have the view of downtown right behind the screen. So it's a it's a good vibe and it fits it fits the individual that I'm interviewing today because he brings good vibes, good energy, a bright smile. If you guys are watching this on YouTube right now, um, so I'm glad I have some some vibes outside to match the same energy. So If you are tuning in for this episode and you've been here for every episode before this, please comment, email me, let me know. I got a gift for you, first and foremost. Thank you for your support. And for everybody else, keep listening. We are back with the Call of Stutzer show, back at it again with an amazing guest. I tell you guys every Friday, I'm like, yo, listen, I got a fire guest for you this week. I got a fire guest for you this week. And I don't think I've lied yet. So with that being said, Go ahead and introduce yourself to the people, brother. Hey, hey, everybody out there. Isaac Collins here. Um, Woke kid. I know that you said that it's not necessarily just uh, Kansas City, but I'm a a Kansas City born and somewhat raised kid and uh, done a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, But now I'm an entrepreneur. (laughs) Been an entrepreneur for about nine years, had the blessing to um, own seven for-profit businesses up to this point, and then one um, nonprofit, uh, which I started with my wife and two partners, and um, obviously married, just had a baby girl six months ago, so that's very, very exciting, and a bunch of other stuff we'll probably get into, and uh, uh, I love uh, everything nerdy and everything sports and working out and all that fun stuff, so a little bit about me. Love it. I love it, man. Well, thank you again for, you know, agreeing to jump on the episode together or jump on the episode with me today. And I, you know, really appreciate you, man. There's a lot of people out there who are looking to have conversations with individuals like you who have experience or skin in the game when it comes to business, when it comes to just life in general. And, you know, people are busy and don't always get the opportunity to conversate with individuals. So this is an opportunity for us to jump on, talk and provide insight on your life on your experience with the listeners. So again, thank you, man. So let's, let's start with, you know, where you were born and raised, you say, you know, you're from Kansas City. So can we start, you know, about where you grew up? What was that experience like? And just talk about your early life here for a second. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, like I said, if you guys are from Kansas City, I was born in Kansas City, born at uh, Truman Medical Center. And uh, the first 18 months of my life or so I was in Kansas City and uh, I, I haven't shared this a lot, but I've started being more comfortable to share a little bit about my upbringing because my parents gave me the go ahead. Um, but before, during my mom's pregnancy and after my parents were dealing and using uh, crack cocaine. 
And that's kind of how I got my start, if you will. Uh, they were in and out of treatment whenever they got out of treatment. When I was 18 months, they decided, hey, if we're going to do this thing for real, we're going to have to move. So overnight, we packed up my grandma, my aunt and two uncles. We moved to St. Joe, Missouri, which if you're not from the area, it's just an hour north of Kansas City. And I was then raised from then on through college um, in St. Joseph, Missouri. I stayed there. We moved from the projects of Kansas City to the projects of St. Joe. And then when I hit about fourth grade, we moved up to the north side of St. Joe um, to a small little, it's still St. Joe, but it's called Country Club. Not it's, It sounds a lot richer than it really was. Um, but I went from an all black community in Kansas city to an all black community in St. Joe, and then an all white community, um, when we moved up to the North side of St. Joe. So I've kind of been a part of a lot of different extremes. And so that was kind of my first, uh, 18 years of life, uh, having those experiences. It was very interesting. Yeah. So would you say like that, you know, during your early life or really all the way through 18 that you kind of felt your heart was at home in Kansas City or you felt a certain connection to the city or did you feel far removed from Kansas City and just would come back occasionally? I, I, I wonder because, you know, sometimes when people are born in a certain city, you know, they're really proud about it. You know, they may not have grown up there, but they're like, oh, I was born in, I, I, I'm from Albuquerque, but like I was, you know, raised in Arizona or something, but they're really proud about being from Albuquerque. So did you feel that strong connection with Kansas City growing up or were you, you know, a St. Joe boy and that's how you felt? Yeah, that's a really good point. I've seen that actually both sides quite a bit. Uh, For me, uh, Kansas City through and through, you know, I obviously don't remember my time in Kansas City growing up, but I do remember the times that we were visiting family up there because I still to this day have quite a bit of family on both sides um, here in KC, mainly my dad's side. Um, or my mom's side, I mean, uh, but St. Joe was, was good, but oftentimes I feel like I neglect to actually own St. Joe and I don't really know why it's, it's just a really uh, interesting thing, but Kansas city feels like home to me, even though I was in St. Joe literally all of my life, but you know, uh, St. Joe was, was a great place to be able to be raised and pretty much all my best friends I met from St. Joe and, Uh, Now that I've been back in Kansas City since 2015, I'm starting to understand and feel why I'm I'm just a city kid and it's my roots and it's my culture and um, that's where my family is. And so I think that's why I probably like own Kansas City more than St. Joe, I guess. I'm still trying to figure that out. Hear you. I think that's a, a common challenge for individuals who like have that experience. You know, I know especially it's true in my family as well. You know, some of us claim Tanzania because that's where you know the majority of the kids were born, and even though they weren't raised there particularly for long of life, some of us claim Kansas City, some of us claim New York because they moved. Yeah. So it's like it's it's very interesting. I think it's really just about our our connection and where our heart feels or what we're actually proud of. And I don't think it's particularly. Absolutely. I don't think it's particularly a problem to not show a lot of love to a certain place if you don't connect, if you don't feel connected to it. So yeah, I I think it's different based on the person too, because I know Kanye West, he was born in Atlanta, but (laughs) he reps, he reps Chicago to the day he dies, right? Yeah. Eminem is actually from St. Joe, Missouri, but he he reps Detroit, you know what I mean? So I, I think there's a reason why people rep something or don't rep the other one and whatnot. Absolutely. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, what was, 
What was that experience like in St. Joe? What was high school like? I know you mentioned in the fourth grade, you moved to another part of St. Joe where the demographic was a little bit different. Did you find that challenging growing up? You know, once you started hitting your teen years and people start speaking a little bit differently or addressing you differently based off of skin or based off of terms or what they see on TV or whatever it might be, you know, the, the influences of society. How do you feel your experience was you know from let's say middle school through high school and, and what were some challenges or yeah. some benefits that's a good question so i would say for me it's actually uh dictated a lot of who i am going from these different extremes because like i said i'm from kansas city and pretty much all black community then moved to the projects of saint joe pretty much all black community we moved one more time before i moved up to north saint joe uh, but when we moved again, I was kind of around downtown, which was a, a pretty good melting pot hodgepodge of, of the racial um, demographics. And so, you know, I was going to school with predominantly white, but there was still a lot of black kids in my school, brown kids and whatnot. So it was just normal to me. And so when we moved up to the north side, I was still in St. Joe. However, we were so far north, I was technically in a different county. I was in Anger County versus Buchanan County, which meant instead of going a mile to the local elementary uh, school there that was in St. Joe, I had to go 10 miles north to a different school in Savannah. And Savannah was a town of 5,000 people, and the demographic is 99.52% white which is fine. However, at that time, I wasn't ready for how that was, how big of a difference that was from what I was experiencing. Um, I didn't really think, think anything of it until I started to get a lot of racist and racial things happen to me. And I was like, okay, this is different. I've never experienced this before because my friends in Kansas City and then in St. Joe, when I was downtown, um, there was a little bit of everyone. So I didn't really get that. And so um, I was in the Savannah School District from fourth grade and up until 12th. And the racism and things that I experienced didn't get bad until I went to middle school. Because when I hit middle school, I actually was going to the middle school, which was all the way in Saint, or all the way in Savannah. And then the high school was as well. And that's when I really, really, uh, really felt it <laughs> and it was quite a big of a of a difference so so yeah I, I I think that like this is such I find it interesting that a lot of my conversations with people I've had on my show have a very similar story in this realm that we're discussing right now and what I mean by that is uh, you know this podcast is a podcast where I interview minority entrepreneurs minority creatives so the majority of the individuals I have on this podcast are brown or black individuals yeah. and and a lot of their stories are you know being born and partially raised in a primarily you know black or brown neighborhood and then transitioning at some point for various reasons whether it was for a better educational system or whether whether it was you know for whatever the reason was they they moved to a, a population where that demographic changed drastically Absolutely. and everyone shared you know, obviously the, 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 the downfalls of that, you know, the racist jokes, the, the, you know, little slide comments here and there, but everyone also mentioned that they thought that it was a 
a win on another side because it provided them with the ability to be able to communicate and understand different populations and it taught them how to adapt while still maintaining authenticity. And I say while still maintaining authenticity because they learned how to adapt first by not being authentic, then realized that they weren't being authentic and had to transition. So could you talk about like maybe some benefits or some advantages that you saw from, um, obviously not from being called any racist remarks, but from growing up in a community that was different than you're at home? Yeah. So, and I love telling my story and I, uh, this is actually a part of my signature talk that I do. Um, as a professional speaker and coach as well, because there's a lot of entrepreneurial uh, leadership and resiliency points in here. And and I will say with everything that I've experienced, I'm not a victim. Uh, I have had so many more positive experiences with my upbringing than I've had that were negative. You know what I mean? Of course, I've had things said to me and, you know, gotten into fights because of it, et cetera. But my group of best friends are all white because that's where I grew up. And I went to school with them from fourth grade on. And I love them like my brother. They're my brothers and my sisters. It's a group of about 10 of us. Um, and that's dope. I love that. I love that. That's my experience. From the things that I have experienced, it has given me tough skin. It has allowed me to understand how people think who are different from me. And so, you know, I grew up more Democrat than anything, but most of my friends and their families are Republican. And so I just understand how people think who are different than me. And that has helped me so much in business, but also being a leader. I mean, right now I have 45 employees in, in my businesses and they're all different. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I have learned a certain amount of uh, empathy, I guess I would say empathy, learning to lead with kindness, but also understanding I grew up with an issue of not feeling like I belonged and I couldn't be authentic because it was a certain amount of survival that, that kicked down and I had to blend in as much as I possibly could. But with that being said, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged because of the racist things that was happening to me. However, I grew up and I had several friends who committed suicide that were white. I had uh, several friends who struggled with anxiety and depression and suicidal ideations and all these different things because of the trauma that they experienced. And so what I realized was my experience was from, oh my gosh, this is terrible what's happening to me because of the color of my skin. But what I realized is we're all fighting some sort of a battle and we're all struggling and uh if we were to become more empathetic and try to step into someone else's shoes to understand where uh, they're coming from and who they are, we're way more alike than we are different. And so as a leader now, I can pretty much guess, especially dealing with 15 to 18 year olds, that they're going through something and they probably don't feel like they belong. Because yeah, I had my own issues, but I was also top of my, one of the top uh, students in my class as far as grades. And I was popular and I was, you know, captain on my sports teams and I still struggled with this. So everyone feels like they don't belong, especially when you're younger. So how can we create ecosystems that would help every single person feel like they belong, whether they're struggling with that or not? And I think that's helped me a lot throughout my life. 
I love that a lot. I love that a lot. And and I highly suggest that listeners rewind those past four minutes right there to 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 really you know soak in what he just said. You know, I think one thing that I've always realized is that you know the same thing you just said about everyone's facing our own challenges. We just kind of have to choose whether we're gonna be a victim, like you know, have that victim mindset, or if we're gonna use these things that have happened to us. Um, as a source of inspiration to, to, you know, change that narrative or as a source of inspiration to help other people or as a source of gratitude or as a source of, um, you know, understanding towards what other people are going through. So, you know, it's just about choice. And I, I love that you made the choice to, uh, you know, use your testimony and, and your experience to give back and to, you know, um, utilize the skills and the experiences that you went through to apply to helping other young people or being a great leader within your businesses. And so with that being said, um, you know, your, your, your tenure in St. Joseph didn't end at high school. You decided to go to Missouri Western. Can mm -hmm. we discuss, you know, sports? Can we discuss football? How you, you know, your love for that, how that got introduced to your life. And then can we talk about what you studied at Missouri Western and why? Absolutely. So my time at Missouri Western was amazing. It, it was funny because you know, being in St. Joe and uh, being around Missouri Western for years and years, I never wanted to go to Missouri Western. It was my hometown university. So I was like, I'm not going there. I'm gonna go somewhere else, somewhere else that is bigger or whatever. I want to get away. Well, I ended up going to Missouri Western and it was the best decision that I've made because I was able to still stay close, be a part of my church family, see my parents whenever I wanted to. Um, but also it was just a really good university. I mean, so much school spirit, the business school that I was a part of is just next level, like so, so good. Uh, the highlight was playing on the football team. I got a scholarship and I played there all five years. Uh, I graduated actually right after my senior year. And for me, that's one of the biggest accomplishments of my life because so many people was like, you know, this small town kid's not going to be able to make it playing division two football, which a lot of people look down at any division of football or sports that isn't D one. I will tell you, go watch those games at every single level. They have really, really good players. And um, division two level is intense. It's intense and it's very, very competitive. So I was there all five years, had a blast, met some great friends um, created some insanely good memories and my coaches were just next level, not only with coaching football, but they really, really invested in us as people. And so I really remember them, especially my coach Trotter, coach Trotter was my uh, position coach and, uh, he was a next level dude. So that was awesome. Like I said, went to the business school, uh, got a business degree, double majored marketing and management. And I, I used that to be able to get into my first business through a partnership and opportunity that actually came from the business school. So yeah, man, those are some of the best years of my life. I love it. I love it. And that's, and that's actually what I wanted to transition to. So your, your attendance at that business school and a, and a partnership that they had with, with, with an, another entity. Um, how did you, how did you, uh, how did you end up working and becoming an owner operator at, um, what is it? Rocky Road, I believe. Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory in a town in Iowa. Am I correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah, so can, can we talk about how that happened and how you got placed there? I, I've heard the story myself, but share the share the story with the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I graduated college uh, December 2011. So when I was in high school, I always said that I wanted to be my, my own boss. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Well, in 2008, my second year in school, the business school, the Craig School of Business at Missouri Western, started this partnership between themselves, our benefactor, Steve Craig, and then Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, because Steve Craig owns super regional malls. And in pretty much all of his malls, he has a Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. So he got close with a lot of the C-level people at at, uh, Rocky Mountain. So they created this three-way partnership that was a capstone course uh, where it would help graduating seniors to become business owners right after college. Sounds crazy, but stick with me here. And so the whole point was we would write a business plan the whole semester and that whole semester they would teach us business and we would write the business plan as we were running, as if we were running a Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory store. We went to the store, we did an internship, all this kind of stuff. At the end of the semester, we would present our business plan to a board of judges, if you will. And if you won, then you would get awarded a store and Steve Craig, our benefactor would pay for it. He would be our bank because let's be honest, they're not going to loan a 23 year old fresh out of college with no money, no experience money from a bank. So never <laughs> he, was, he was our benefactor and uh, it gave us an opportunity to get into, you know, into business at a really young age. And that's how I got started. Uh, three weeks after the competition, I moved up to uh, Conroy, Iowa, which was a mile or two north of Williamsburg. It was a small town of 75 people. There's nothing in the town except for a grain silo and a post office. And I ran that business for uh, four years. Wow. So small town, you're in Iowa, which you're not from Iowa. So it's, Iowa. <laughs> so it's a new, it's a new place. It's a, a smaller town that, than, than this town that you were coming from. Um, I assume demographics were different. I assume you didn't really have as much knowledge as, you know, you don't really know until you know, when it comes to business, you can read all you want. You can, uh, you can study all you want to provide, you know, some basic frameworks, but when you get thrown into the fire, I'm sure that's a lot different. So can we talk about the the first year of business? Like, are you genuine, like, are you genuinely like the owner operator at 23 and like, it's all on you when you just get thrown into the fire or do they have like some type of mentor that's there with you for the first year? Like, how did that work? And how was that experience for your first year? It was, it was interesting. So we are on our own. The partnership is it's 99% our business and 1% Steve's. The reason for that is so we would pay 99% of the taxes and he would pay 1% because it's not fair for him to pay the tax. It's not really his business. But what that does is it gives him still a little bit of stake in the business and the partnership is he's majority share. Uh, He gets majority voting rights. So he still has control of it if it goes off the rails. Um, But he literally just stays out like, do your thing, you know, yada, 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 do your thing, have fun, learn. But with the college, we had a mentor. We had a group of essentially coaches where if we needed to tap into them, we could, and they would help us through whatever scenario it was. But I mean, I was up there, you know, right in the business. (laughs) My first probably two years, I worked probably an average of about 90 hours every single week, combination of trying to learn the business and trying to save money on labor. 
Uh, and I made every mistake in the book my first year. I mean, from forgetting to order things to not knowing how to hire people correctly to firing people through text message because I was too scared to have the conversation in person. Uh, yeah, it was a mess. It, it was a mess. That, one, that, but, was, that one's a crucial one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was tough. The funny thing about that one is a couple of weeks before that, I actually tried to fire that same employee in person. And as we started the conversation, I chickened out. So we're still having issues two weeks later. I'm like, I don't want to do this in person. So I just texted her and it was like, hey, you're done. Don't come in anymore. Damn. Are you guys yeah. friends now? Uh, I, I follow <laughs> I follow her actually on uh, social media. We, we chat every once in a while. So good, good, good. it's cool now. <laughs> good, good. I love that. I love that. Happy ending, right? In a yeah, way. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you work there for four years and you decide to leave Iowa and did you come directly back to Kansas city then? So 2011, you graduate. So four years, 2015, you moved to Kansas city in 2015 and mm -hmm. Yogurtini becomes a part of your life. Yep. So let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about, first off, what does it mean to be a, a, a franchisee owner or like what is what does that what does that look like and is that what you are yeah yeah so uh i was a franchise i was a franchisee with rocky mountain chocolate factory and then i am now a franchisee of yogurtini and people ask me all the time like why yogurt why did you make the jump from chocolate to frozen yogurt uh one of I really do love sweets, so that is a huge bonus. But it was because right around that time when I wanted to come back to Kansas City, Rocky Mountain had acquired a whole franchise, a whole frozen yogurt franchise. So, um, I in 2014, I wanted to come home and I asked, Do you have any opportunities in Kansas City? Uh, because I want to get out of here and go back home. They said, we have nothing in chocolate, but we do have this new frozen yogurt concept. Are you interested? And I said, sure, I'll check it out. So I did, ended up being Yogurtini. And um, it took about a nine-month process, but the deal was finalized. And I moved back to Kansas City, and I owned, uh, or I still do, the Yogurtini on the plaza. Uh, and so for a franchise, that is different than a normal business because essentially a franchisor they line out with doing their research, et cetera, on how to make this business model work. Um, and so what I do is I'm essentially buying in to the opportunity to own a business, you know, of the same name. And they provide all the intellectual property, the menu, the recipes, the branding, et cetera. And um, they give you a playbook on how to run it. The beautiful thing is, is it's really a good way to start business if you don't want to build something from scratch, um, from the ground up. And it allowed me to not have to create all that stuff and just do what I'm best at, which is managing people and marketing. So for me, it was a really good move. I love it. I love it. And what would you say are some common mistakes for somebody or people when they're you know first purchasing a um business at the end of the day um so uh 
what do you think are some challenges or mistakes that people make so often that are just like very common that you could easily avoid once you get enough operational experience or have, you know, you're on your third or fourth or, or you said seven. So actually seven, seven businesses in. Um, so obviously there's some things that you're not going to do <laughs> on the yeah. next business you start. So what are some common mistakes when uh, purchasing a franchise? That's a great question. You kind of teamed me up. So I am nine years into this now and uh, beginning of this year, I actually launched a, um, a professional business coaching and speaking company. And the reason why I did that is because I have nine years of experience and I have been a part of eight you know, companies that I have started and either closed or exited. And what I have found in having conversations with people back here at home is everybody wants to know how to run a business, but I feel like the vast majority don't know how to run a successful business, even the ones who are up and going. And uh, I was confused on that for a long time until I started asking questions over the last couple of years. And what I found out is the average business owner or entrepreneur is really good at providing their product or their service. But outside of that, there is some core pillar of business or competency that they lack. One of the biggest ones is maybe they're not good at marketing or maybe they're not good at sales. And probably I would say 99% of business owners don't all the way understand their numbers and financials. So one of these core things that they don't understand usually ends up being the thing that ultimately takes them down when it comes to the success of their business and being here in the long run. And so a franchise is an awesome option because it kind of fills in a lot of those gaps. And so you don't have to know everything there is about business. I was blessed because I was in business school for five years and I have now nine years of experience and I wanted to be a business owner before. So I studied and read books, but the average, per the average person is really good at a service or really good at creating a product. And then they just go out on their own without understanding and knowing all the ways, uh, of how to be successful in business. And so that's why I launched my company now. And I've been blessed to help dozens of entrepreneurs across the Kansas City Metro, a little bit in St. Joe, and then random other places I find people on social media because people want to add value to their customers. And they also want to keep their business for years to come, but there's something amongst the mix that they're lacking. I love that. And what that makes me think of is this, this quote that, uh, that is essentially just says, uh, pride always comes before a fall. And I think with uh, a lot of business owners that I've known that have ended up, you know, having the business fall from below them, what ended up happening is they were too prideful to ask for help, or they really thought they was great at everything. And then one of those things that they genuinely weren't good at, but they were too prideful to admit, bit them and you know, that poisoned the rest of the business and things fell from then on out. So I think, I think one thing that, you know, I'm pretty sure most people would agree with is as early on as you can find out what your weaknesses are and address them immediately. Whether you have Absolutely. to come, whether you have to come $5,000 out of, out of pocket and save each month enough money to pay a coach or whether you need to go to a conference or whether you need to just get the reps in, whether maybe that's it. Maybe you just need to get enough reps and maybe you need yeah. to, Go get a sales job before you start a business so you can understand sales, whatever it might be. 
you know, it's super important to really, you know, be self-aware and, and figure out what your weaknesses are before you get into business. I think, I think you nailed it on that as well. And this is something that I preach all the time is, you know, when you are a, a student, you have peers and classmates around you. So you have a built-in community and you have teachers and principals and everything like that who are kind of coaching you and teaching you along the process. When you're an athlete, you have your teammates as your community, and then you have coaches and assistant coaches and head coach to coach you along the process. But when you're an entrepreneur, man, it is, is lonely. You, you don't have a coach, you don't have a teacher and you don't have a community because most of the time you can't be friends with your employees. Like for me, I hire 15 to 18 year olds, mostly women. Like I can't be friends with a 15 to 18 year old. I'm 32 years old with a wife. Like that's weird. You know what I mean? But for those two things, you have to actively seek those out. And a lot of times you have to fork over some money to be a part of a community and have a coach or a mentor. And, you know, most business owners, including myself, we're cheap and we don't want to fork out that money. <laughs> so that's another reason. It, it, it's always worth it to be a part of a community and have someone teaching you. But it, it, it's, it's, it's tough because they want to save that money or don't know that it's important. I hear it. I hear it. And in that same light, um, who maybe do you follow, whether it's through social, whether it's books you read or movies you watch or whatever it might be, or maybe, you know, a coach you pay, who do you follow to learn more about business and let's say money management? Absolutely. So everyone always says, you know, find a coach and mentor. And I do think that's what you need to do. Uh, what I fell into for a long time was I thought I needed to actually know the person and that person need to sit down with me once a month and just answer my questions. Man, successful people are really busy. So that's hard to get this perfect scenario where you have this really smart coach, this person who's been there before and they're older than you and they're going to sit down and, and, you know, put you on game. Like that's rare. That's hard. You know um, what I found out was there are certain people who are probably at the same level as you that you do know that are probably really proficient in something that you aren't good at. So it doesn't need to be in like an older sage figure. It can be someone who is younger than you or same age as you that may be like, man, I'm not good at sales, but Jackie is topping her company. I'm just going to pick her brain. The bigger thing is we think we have to know the mentor coach. So some of the pe best people who have mentored me are people that I have never talked to in person and I will probably never meet. And it's online or just coaches or people who are writing books, doing podcasts on YouTube, etc., that are just handing out free advice that um, have taught me so much. So in my earlier days, it was Tony Robbins. I'm, I'm not necessarily a Tony Robbins fan anymore. But in this, the phase of my life I was in when I started 23 to about 26, that was my guy. Tony was in my ear every single day. Uh, now I have a couple local mentors and coaches that I use, but my favorite is, Nat, is, is still uh, Brendan Burchard. He is my favorite. He's a high performance coach. He's a business coach. He's a speaker. He has created an amazing company and he adds so much value. And so, you know, see anyone listening don't be so caught up in thinking you have to know your coach. Uh, Brendan's my favorite. And like I said, I will never talk to Brendan. I hope, but you know, it's probably not going to happen. And I've gotten so much and made so much money 
off the lessons that he's taught? Yeah, I think like what I have always called it is virtual mentors. And I've relied on virtual men, what I call virtual mentors, you know, since like that, since like 12 years old. And it's like, it's funny because you'll go through phases of what you need at that point in your life. And then you'll get to the point where you don't need that person anymore because they're just going to repeat the same things, which is fine because that's mm-hmm. what they know. That's what they specialize in. That's what they're confident in. And so they're going to share those things over and over again to beat that into the he- to your head because they know and, and you know that nobody takes action on the first <laughs> on the first. Uh, a lot of people don't take action on the first listen to something. So, yep. you know having a virtual mentor or what I suggest to the listeners is finding what I call virtual mentors, individuals who are in the same space that you're trying to move into that share valuable information. And, you know, you know, and then you just use your people, people radar to decide if you think they're a good person that you trust. And, you know, then you study from there. And we're a couple of coaches that you've liked in the last several yeah. years. Yeah. So my, my key, uh, number two, so there's one, um, when it comes to business and life mixed together, I'd say Gary V. Um, Gary V was Gary V was one of the early people that I caught on to. Um, when it comes to just life and just you know needing that that push, it's Eric Thomas or Et the Hip Hop Preacher. Oh yeah, yeah. So that's that's my guy. And that then, fire in your soul, that guy. Yeah, oh my yeah. gosh. And then recently, in terms of um, you know younger people coming up, one of them I've had on the was blessed to have him on the podcast. Another um working on trying to get on um is uh ani sanyo so he's a he runs kokota chai in uh in manhattan um and then also runs green room creative it's like a you know agency and then manages uh, a up-and-coming artist by the name of anik Kong. so he he, he he dabbles in a few different spaces and super inspiring i share some valuable information and then john henry um so building loop insurance right now but also you know helped build harlem capital um, yeah VC that's company. awesome those are some people that I really enjoy. Um, but uh, so I wanted to ask um, when it comes to when it comes to life or business, you can choose the perspective you want to address this question from. Um, but what would be some advice you'd give yourself if you had to start from scratch today? So if from today, your businesses are stripped from you, obviously, God willing, that never happens. But your businesses are stripped from you. Um, maybe you're not married yet. Um, whatever perspective you want to approach it from business or life, what would be some advice you'd give yourself if you had to restart? Man, that's a good question. So do, do, do for me, myself, I never, and this probably came from sports, but I never had an issue with working hard. So I feel like that's the easy answer. So I'm, I'm not going to say that because I, that was just ingrained in me from being an athlete for so long. Um, something that you said we talked about earlier in the podcast was this concept of being authentic and being yourself. And, um, for me, I agree. I've had a lot of friends who have had to assimilate a little bit, if you will, just to survive and then went over and started being more authentic, but you know, I'm 32 and I probably just started being more authentic to who I really am last year or the year before. And so I would tell myself at a younger age, like, just be more true to yourself. I think the, you know, I, like I said before, I've been a part of eight businesses over the last nine years and probably a third of those have failed. And those businesses that failed, I had no business being in. And I wanted to be in those businesses if I'm breaking it down and and being honest with you. 
uh, because I wanted the status of being included and, and, and liked, and I thought they may make me look cool versus, Hey, I really think that this is a good business idea. And so if I was more authentic and really loved myself and knew myself, I would have definitely seen all the red flags and avoided those. Cause, uh, you know, I'm not someone who is particularly passionate about a certain product or service. My thing that I'm passionate about is business development, really like Gary Vee. Like I love build, building businesses. I don't really care about chocolate or Froyo or construction I've been in or um, health supplements. Could care less, really. There's just things that I could sell. I love business building. And I saw all the red flags for those. And I did it anyway, because I thought it would give me a good platform to look cool. So, yeah, be more authentic to myself. I would have wish I would have known that at 23. The bar. Uh, at least it happens at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I, I, I don't take back the lessons I learned right, in the process and and whatnot and some of the relationships that were built. But man, I would have saved a lot of money. I got screwed over on two different deals by business partners and um, lost 150000 on one and 100000 on another. And, and that- I'm blessed to be able to lose that kind of money, but it's still a lot of money that's gone because right. of stupid decision-making on my part. Right. And that makes me, that made me think of a question. So for individuals, especially young cats, you know, 22, 23, trying to get into business and maybe they have a great idea. Maybe they have a great product. Maybe they have a a great service. Maybe they have a skill, a very specific niche skill, but they need a partner. How would you um, suggest to that young entrepreneur listening right now to vet a partner or vet a co-founder or Uh, an investor? That's good. So I'm probably the wrong guy to ask on this. Honestly, I've been burned so many times. I'm still pretty jaded. So uh, I actually don't recommend that people get partners. I don't, you know, uh, I think that the best thing you can do is get people around you who can teach you the skills that you necessarily don't know. Um, Because the big reason why people get partners is because someone else has some sort of a skill set that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And so if you fill in those gaps on the things that you're not necessarily good at, then you don't need that person there. And again, is this good advice? Probably not, but I'm coming from a place of, I have seen way more business partnerships fail than succeed. So I've seen the statistics of this. You can Google this, how high the failure rate is for, for partnerships. Um, I think it's better just to make sure you have a good business plan, make sure you're competent in um, the foundational principles of business, work your face off, get a job, make money, and build that business on the side. So you're bidding stability, but you can also build um, some sort of a business. However, if you do decide to go into business with other people and get partners, make sure you are contracted up. Mm-hmm. Make sure there are contracts um, that are signed that clearly showcase who is doing what work, because if you don't do that and it's up in the air and ambiguous, then that's where the arguments and the confusion comes in. And, um, you know, everyone says, nah, we don't need contracts. We're friends. But when money is involved, shit changes <laughs> really fast, really fast. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, 
So you mentioned you have about 45 employees across your different businesses. So I wanted to ask, what is your favorite signal or maybe an attribute um, that you pay attention to when you're trying to find great managers for your stores? Sure. Yeah, I'm different when it comes to hiring people. Uh, I don't hire on skill. I do not hire on skill, no matter if it's for my nonprofit, for the yogurt teenies. My wife and I are blessed to have three of them um, now, or it's for my own coaching business. I will not hire on skill. First, I will hire on um, character, empathy, kindness, those big things of who you are as a person, because I can teach you the skills later. However, if you have all those things and you're a good human and you have the skills, then that's, that's when you know you've hit gold. And I hire those people on the spot. <laughs> but I, I do not just hire straight off skills. Um, because it only takes one person to mess up the whole uh, culture of your team. And it is hard to build a good culture. And it is easy to lose and destroy really, really quick. It, it happens fast. So, you know, controlling all that really, really matters with the different personalities who are um, a part of your team. That reminds me of something Gary V says. He says, hire slow, fire fast. Because yep. culture, culture is the most important thing that you cannot sacrifice. You cannot yep. sacrifice at all. So if somebody's ruining the culture, but they're talented as hell, throw them away. <laughs> so at, outside of my first two years, when I was learning and doing a lot of weird stuff and firing people through text message, um, <laughs> I, I got really comfortable with firing people after that. And I will say 100% of the people that I've fired over the last nine years a hundred percent of them knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. They knew it was coming. They knew that they were performing below what, what they agreed upon. They knew they weren't um, upholding the standard. And so for me, I probably out of all the people I fired, probably 75% of them got fired in the first 30 days. Mm-hmm. You know, quick, if it's a good fit. Right. And right. anyone who's had, had people that they've hired out there and they had to fire them, if you kept them longer than 30 days, you knew from the jump that it wasn't going to work out within those 30 days. And you probably kept them because you thought you were going to change them. Mm. And I bet you didn't. <laughs> and I uh, failed at that early on, but we are very good at getting rid of people quick because what we call it is releasing them to something that fits them better. Mm, there's that. something with this that isn't quite gelling and there's a reason for it. Maybe our standards are too high based off where they're showing up right now. Maybe they're wanting something else or I don't know. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. So we'll just let them go and say, Hey, it's not working out. You know, if you need us as a reference, you can still use us. If you need us to help you find another job, let us know, but you're no longer working here. I love that. I love that. I think that was very valuable. Definitely. Definitely. That's definitely going to be a snippet, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so can you, you, you mentioned that you really love building businesses and you just love business in general. So I wanted to ask you, can you talk about a company you admire and maybe what makes that company attractive to you? Sure. So, um, man, there's a couple of them. There's a couple of them. So for me, and I, I'll bring him up again, uh, Brennan Burchard is a, a master of online, uh, business. So I'm just getting into this. Uh, back in 2017, myself and two partners, which was one of the deals that went bad, we launched an online brand selling supplements, pretty much 100% online. 
And so I learned how it worked, but now going online again and not with an online product, but with like a digital product, like I'm selling courses and programs and speaking, it's a whole nother world that I'm just getting used to, but it, it allows me to be so much more flexible. So to see people like Brendan who have built massive businesses and added so much value to people's lives through his free stuff, but even more importantly, his paid stuff, because you, you, you care more and you buy in more when you actually put your money up. I'm really impressed with that whole world and how it works because it's so foreign to me. I've pretty much always done um, a physical product in a brick and mortar space. So to think that I can sell a digital product to anyone in the world, that is really intriguing to me. And I'm, I've just been kind of studying him and his business to see how he does what he does and how he builds these businesses with all the stuff that he's doing and the people he puts in place to help him out. I love that. I love that. And with you starting to build your coaching business and then obviously still having the other businesses you're running, you mentioned to me before we started the podcast that you were getting into the podcast world. So I was wondering maybe, you know, how do you see podcasting being beneficial to your brand, being beneficial and doing these interviews like this today, being beneficial to your brand, to your businesses, and maybe just kind of share why you find uh, podcasts valuable and why you're jumping into that world as well. Absolutely. Well, you know, as we continue to go more and more, people are liking to consume things that aren't still, meaning the day of still images on Facebook and, and, and Instagram are, are going away. Everything is going to be audio or video very, very soon. I mean, we saw the, the explosion of Clubhouse last year, um, and that was a cool thing to see. I think that video is going to continue to get bigger and bigger, but I think the way of the future is audio more than video. Like I am on YouTube probably seven hours every day. I have it on right here. I have actually, <laughs> I have three screens here and both of my screens here have YouTube videos up. It's really funny. However, when I'm playing videos, I am not watching those videos. I'm listening to those videos. And so podcasting is huge. You can call it podcast if it's on Google or Apple podcast or Stitcher or whatever, but I'm essentially listening to podcasts all day on YouTube. It's just easier. You are, you're taking this uh, content in, in an audio way, and it's just quicker than having to read it because who has the time? Um, and so for me, also being a speaker, people need to hear me speak. And so it's a, <laughs> it's a cool way to get hired for speaking, but also um, it's easier to portray my thoughts. I can add so much value over the, you know, hour or so we've been on here with my words versus typing it out in a blog um, or Instagram or Facebook. Also, it's lead generation. So if I have a course or a program that I offer, you need to discover me somehow. So a podcast as well as YouTube is evergreen. It never goes away. If, you know, you, once you put this podcast out and somebody types in and YouTube or podcast, some sort of keyword that pertains to whatever you put it into, they could find us. And if you're selling something, they could go through the funnel and be able to get massive value from what you're doing. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. One, I love teaching. I love teaching. I love the light bulb moment whenever people like, aha, like they discover 
what they've been missing. I live for that moment, but I got to make money. <laughs> got to make money doing it. And so um, podcasting will be huge for me to be able to get my thoughts out and not spam my friends and family on social media because I write really long captions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, you know, you mentioned we all need to make money. And one of the big reasons we need to make money is because we have families. And um, you're a married man. Um, and, you know, I believe you just mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, a new father. Am I correct? Or am I tripping? Yep. We have a, <laughs> uh, my daughter will be six months and three days. I love it. I love it. So congratulations on both of those um, successes, marriage and a new child. But Thanks, man. can you share, um, I don't particularly believe in the idea of balance, but can you share how you are managing the life as an entrepreneur and the, the demands of, of, of that type of lifestyle and being a great partner and being a great father? And what that sure. for you. Yeah. I mean, work-life balance isn't a thing. I think we can strive for it, but there's, depending on what season of life you're in, there's going to be one or two things that take most of your time up. So right now it's this business that I'm launching and it's my girls, you know? Um, I do believe in harmony. I think they can ebb and flow beautifully together, depending on where you're at in life. I do very much believe in that. So for me, I know what's important right now. And I'm actually working longer days right now than I've ever worked. But I also see my wife more than I've ever seen my wife before because I've, those are my big rocks. If you've ever seen, you know, the demonstration and he's like, how am I going to fit all these things in here? What do I do? And da, da, da. it's like, you got to put the big rocks in first, then the, then the medium, then the small, then like the water kind of fills everything up and goes from there. And if you do it the opposite, it doesn't work. That's what I do. I make the main things the main things, which is my family time and my business time. I work from home now um, purposely. So I don't have to be in transit because I, I realized that I was driving almost two hours every day. That's two hours I could be working or spending time with my family. So now I work from home. So on breaks and when I eat, uh, I can just run upstairs and see my girls instead of having to just you know do a phone call. Um. I wake up earlier now than I was before. My workouts are shorter, but they're way more intense. And then when I work, my goal when I work is to get three things done for the day. I don't do these really long to-do lists anymore because most of it's crap. My focus is three things each day. And if I get those three things done, then you know I'll keep going on some smaller stuff. But there's usually one to three projects that really need to get done to push things forward. And oftentimes those are the things that we procrastinate. <laughs> and so if we schedule those and block the time for them, then we can actually make time to get them done. And that's what I do. Those are the first things I do after my morning workout. I love it. I love it. Um, I wanted to ask you two final questions and okay. then we'll wrap it up again. I really appreciate your time today. I think you've shared a lot of, valuable information and on top of that I think it's just interesting hearing your story and I think a lot of other people that listen to this will find it inspiring and absolutely hopefully, hopefully we'll encourage them to take action and and, and stop talking about it <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my my passion so I hope so too I love it I love it so can you talk about a trend um whether it's a business trend or whether it's anything really um or a company in your 
industry and the, and the fields that you work in right now, whether that's, you know, yogurt or froyo, or I, I guess you could call that uh, a restaurant or food um, that has piqued your interest lately. So, you know, any trend in that world or any company that's rising right now that you really find um, interesting. It's funny that you say that because I don't honestly have one. Um, probably three, four months ago, if you look at my social media sites, I almost don't follow anybody. Um, I was at almost 1,300 followers or people that I was following, and I'm at like 30 now because uh, I what I noticed is I was consuming too much of what other people are doing and not focusing as much on what I should be doing. And so I don't get on social media and scroll anymore. Uh, the only people I'm following are my clients, my people, my family, or uh, like three friends or some coaches that I use as inspiration or I've bought their programs or courses. So I don't really see a lot of companies out there that are really doing too much, honestly. And that's kind of on purpose, I guess. Um, and that's mean, I guess, for the coaching, if I had to actually one just popped up, I love what Ben and Jerry's has been doing since they're kind of in my like frozen dessert world. Um, if you don't follow Ben and Jerry's, they're a fun follow because they are very true to themselves. Granted, they post a lot of kind of not kind of very left leaning woke things uh, about social justice and uh, racial disparity. Uh, uh, disparities and whatnot so if you are some of our right-leaning friends you may not like them from that part but the cool thing about them is just so we were talking about I think as individuals we need to be just true to ourselves and be more authentic but I think brands do as well um, because being true to yourself as a brand allows you to actually attract your ideal client um, instead of saying we are going to serve everybody well, if you serve, you try to serve everybody, you're going to reach nobody, but businesses need to tailor that down. And Ben and Jerry's understands we're really, really good. And we're going for a certain person and they're getting that demographic at a very high rate because of how they did that. So, um, overall, nobody, but I guess I would say Ben and Jerry's, if I was really thinking creatively about, um, about a company. Yeah. Love that. And I think actually a lot of our listeners said should really take notice of that and actually run back some of my episodes with some other high achievers that are doing well in business and just listen to other business owners in general. And a lot of people you'll hear say they don't follow too many people um, on their page. They just, when it comes to content, they focus on sharing content and keep it pushing, sharing content, keep it pushing. Same thing goes to a lot of people in the music industry, a lot of, uh, you know, artists, you, if you ask them, oh, so who do you like? Who do you enjoy? And they're like, really, bro? I don't really listen to nobody. I just make my music. I re-listen yep. to my music. I move on. I might listen to a few songs here and there. And I just find that very interesting because that that's a, a constant. And when I ask that question with a lot it of It keeps people. your creativity high. A lot of people want to, you know, compare themselves to other brands. Or what I see in this coaching world is people will take three, four or five people they really like, and they'll, they'll kind of pick at other people's content and, and form it into this, this uh, Frankenstein uh, version of all of their content to create what they're going to put on social media. Like that's not, that's not creative. That's not unique. And that's what we need more of. And that's when you get like, talking about music i think of people like kanye west kid cuddy tyler the creator 
Chance the Rapper. They're so different. You can't really mimic them because they're so out there. You may not like them necessarily, but they're unique and they have a unique sound and a unique vibe because of it. So if I could be any of those guys of the coaching and Froyo world, that's my goal. I love it. I love it. So my final day, <laughs> my final day, my final question for you <laughs> today is it's your last day on earth. You live to as long as you want to live 110, 115, 130, 99, wherever you want to live to. Um, you've, you've accomplished everything you wanted to accomplish. You've raised your children to be happy, healthy, and successful. Your wife is happy. Everything's lit, right? But your great grandchildren are sitting at your feet and it's your last day on your on earth. And this is the last thing you get to leave them with. And they ask you, Hey, great grandpa, what is one piece of advice on how to live life? What are you going to share with them? Man, man, I feel like this would change at different spots of my life. But right now with what I'm going through is, you know, because if they're my grandkids, they would already know how to work hard and be good people, all that kind of stuff. I would tell them, don't take yourself too serious. Like, enjoy life, enjoy the process. You are going to die someday. And so enjoy every single day, work your face off, work hard, be a good person but enjoy the process too. Don't take yourself too serious. Love that. Isaac Lee Collins, thank you for dropping in today, sharing value, sharing information, engaging in dialogue with me, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been a blessing. And before we sign off today, I would just like for you to please share with the people where they can find you for coaching, where they can find you for content and how they can support you moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. On any social media site, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, um, all the things you can find me at Isaac Lee Collins. And then uh, my website's www.isaacleecollins.com. Like I said before, I do have a coaching program with coursework, uh, on-demand coursework, and a members community as well. So like I was saying before, you have a community of other people who are in it as well, but then you get one-on-one coaching from me. So if you have questions on that, DM me on any of those social media sites, come to my website, um, send me an email, whatever it is, we'll have a conversation and I'll tell you more about how I can help you uh, scale your business and create something that you don't want to uh, burn out and run from. So that's what I do. Can't excited. I'm excited to talk to you at some point. I love it. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure you follow my guy, check the description to for his uh, social media platforms. Five-star review if you enjoyed this conversation. Share with a friend because you know that's the only way we can grow. This is your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, signing out. Salute.